Good evening, everyone, and welcome. I'm Diane Mayer. I'm the Dean of the Faculty of Education and Social Work here at Sydney University, and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you here this evening. But before we begin proceedings, I'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It's upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. And as we share our knowledge, teaching, learning and research practices within this university, we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever within the Aboriginal custodianship of country. So welcome, we've got I think about 260 people who have registered for this evening, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, yes, they're still coming in, there's more people coming, so um, we, we'll look forward to that. We've got uh, Sydney University staff, we've got uh, Sydney Story Factory volunteers, board members, teachers, librarians, community members, and I know that we're going to have a very exciting evening this evening. Just a little bit about the Sydney Story Factory. Um, I'm sure you'll hear more as we go along through the evening. It's a not-for-profit organisation focused on storytelling and creative writing workshops. It was launched in Redfern in 2012 and it works with children between the ages of 7 and 17 in the main. It's open to all but it has a particular focus on Indigenous students children from non-English speaking backgrounds and young people who are vulnerable or feeling marginalised. Um, all of the programs at Sydney Story Factory um, are designed to foster creative thinking, engagement in learning, improving writing skills, boosting confidence in a fun environment. Um, and the expert storytelling team guide volunteer tutors to work one-on-one -on -one or in small groups providing personal attention, even the best teachers can't always provide. And um, the Faculty of Education and Social Work is undertaking a longitudinal evaluation to examine the impact of Sydney Story Factory's innovative approach. And tonight, you're going to hear from the panel um, who's going, and they're going to explore how Sydney Story Factory is achieving this vision to help young people find their voice and that also we'll hear a little bit about the preliminary evaluation findings and some ideas I think about what people are thinking about the future. So I think we're in for a really, really exciting evening um, and it's my pleasure in the first instance to introduce Dr Catherine Keenan um, who is the co-founder and executive director of Sydney Story Factory. Um, Dr Keenan was formerly a journalist with the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, working as an arts writer and a literary editor. Uh, she has a doctorate in English literature from Oxford and she's an honorary associate here in the Faculty of Education and Social Work at Sydney University. So it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you and um, I'm really, really looking forward to um, hearing the, the panel tonight. Thank you. Thanks very much, Di. Um, welcome. It's so lovely to see so many of you here in this 
extraordinary and wonderful setting. Um, thank you so much for coming. And it's just, it's, it's really great that there's so many people who want to hear about a subject that is very close to my heart, the Sydney Story Factory. Every so often, you come across something, an idea or a place, and it seems so good, it sort of resonates with everything you think and believe, that it almost seems a little magical. And that's, that's what happened to me when I was a journalist at the Herald and I watched a TED talk by Dave Eggers talking about a place, a writing centre for children that he opened in San Francisco called 826 Valencia. And what I loved, there were two things I think that I really loved about that. And one was that it's not just about teaching children the mechanics of writing, it's about awakening them to the, the power and the the kind of exhilaration of writing and that it does that through using lots of volunteers by bringing in all these people who themselves feel that, that, that love of writing and then passing it on to another generation. So I, I thought this was a great idea and I spoke to my friend and colleague Tim Dick who worked with me at the Herald and he agreed with me and so we ended up going to San Francisco and finding out more about it and then coming back to Sydney and with their blessing, opening up something quite similar here. Um, the Sydney Story Factory opened in Redfern in July 2012. Um, you may, I don't know how many of you have been in, but we're on Redfern Street, but it's very confusing because we're actually called the Martian Embassy and Gift Shop, um, which confuses lots and lots of people um, and also leads people to come in and tell us about UFO sightings. Um, but it's... It, there is a reason for it and the reason also comes from 826 Valencia because at the front of their centre they have a pirate supply store and the point of that is that it gives you this conceit and so the space that we have is designed by these amazing architects. It's very strange looking, it's very unusual and it's extremely unlike any school you've ever been to. And the point is that by the time the kids come through there and they sit down, they're in this different headspace and they're ready to kind of take a risk and do something creative and exciting. Um, as Di said, we work particularly with young people from marginalised backgrounds. We have taken over 6,000 enrolments since we opened three years ago. About 22% of our kids are Aboriginal and about 44% from non-English speaking backgrounds. Our mission is to change the lives of these young people through creative writing and storytelling. And so tonight that's really what, you know, what I really love to talk about with the people who will be coming up to the stage about why we think that's important and how it happens. So the first person fittingly that I would like to invite up to the panel is Yari Bangura who, um, I'm not sure if she was officially our first student but her librarian was calling me before we opened going, when are you opening? I have someone who wants to come. Um, Yari uh, escaped the civil war in Sierra Leone and lived in a refugee camp in Guinea before she arrived in Australia about nearly 12 years ago. She is an extraordinary, extraordinarily eloquent and passionate writer and speaker. She's a student, she is a performer and she's an advocate for refugees as a youth representative in Australia for the UNHCR. Please Yari, come up. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Annie Baxter is the Head of Communications and Public Affairs for Google in Australia and New Zealand. Um, she is also, fittingly for our purposes, a Sydney Story Factory volunteer and a member of our board. Um, Annie was formerly a journalist in New Zealand and she's also worked with Cisco, eBay, PayPal and YouTube and she put together YouTube's first ever global education summit with Sal Khan from the Khan Academy and Sir Ken Robinson. Um, please, Annie, would you like to join us? At the Sydney Story Factory, we have um, four people who run all our programs, some of whom are here tonight. Um, and their fearless leader is Richard Short, who rejoices in the title of Storyteller-in-Chief. Um, he was formerly an English teacher at Cabramatta High School for five years, and he's also a published poet and writer. He's an extremely creative and very present teacher and he has the fun job of thinking up many of the strange and exciting workshops that we deliver every day from robot birds to stories that literally fly. Um, well, Richard, please join us. And finally, I'd like to welcome up um, Professor Robin Ewing, AM, who is a Professor of Teacher Education and the Arts in the Faculty of Education and Social Work here. When Tim and I first had this idea, we needed to go and talk to someone to, say, to, get them, to give them the idea and get them to say to us, is this a good idea or a bad idea? And we went to see Libby Gleeson, um, the well-known children's writer, and she looked at us two hapless journalists and she said, yes, this is a good idea, but you need to talk to Robin Ewing. Mm -hmm. um, so we did. And Robin has been involved with the Sydney Story Factory since the very beginning. She's our vice president, has helped us develop the programs, and as she will talk about tonight, she um, has been involved in evaluating the impact of what we do. Um, Robin is also a past president of the Australian Literacy Educators Association, and um, in 2015, this year in January, she became a member of the Order of Australia and she was a previous recipient of the Lady Cutler Award for Services to Children's Literature. Robin, would you please join us finally up here? The first question I'd like to direct to you, Richard, because you develop so many of our workshops and think about them, and I, wanted, I wondered if you could explain what you think makes a Sydney Story Factory workshop and what makes it different perhaps to other creative writing experiences that young people may have? Um, well, I kind of, I and our three other storytellers who are down the front and down the back, um, we facilitate the workshops, we spend a lot of time developing, planning those workshops and that all sounds incredibly professional and grown up. But the truth of the matter is really we are a bunch of big kids with teaching degrees. And one of the things we really, really try to include in the workshops and in pretty much everything we do at the Story Factory is this idea of kind of play and experimentation. And that's really what we're doing in the workshops. And as we kind of develop the workshops and we think about ways we can get students playing, experimenting, thinking about writing, what I really feel that we're doing is throwing at them all of the time this really big, messy problem because that's what creative writing is. Creative writing is this kind of struggle with all of these different elements. It's got emotion, it's got this kind of craft, it's got 
all of these different parts that you have to bring together. And we're just giving students a chance to engage with that. And we've got a massive advantage because we've got lots and lots of volunteers kind of helping us out. And whenever I kind of rave about our volunteers, which I do pretty much every day, um, I'm not really sure if people understand how fantastic it is to have volunteers helping in a workshop. And the way I sometimes try and get people to understand that is I get them to imagine that they are a teacher and that it is Thursday afternoon at 2.45 and you're about to go into your last period and you've got this lesson and it's fantastic. It's one of the best lessons you've ever written and you've got all your resources, the photocopier worked and you're about to walk into that room and deliver this fantastic lesson. And that's great, you might succeed. But then I want you to think about, you're standing at that door, you're the teacher, you've got all these bits and pieces, this lesson ready to go into the room and you turn and look over your shoulder and there's 10 adults standing behind you, 10 knowledgeable adults, 10 enthusiastic adults who are going to walk into that room with you, sit down with those students and help you deliver your perfect lesson. And that's what it's like at the Story Factory every single day. That's what it's like at the Story Factory three times a day. Sometimes it's, for me, it's like having educational superpowers. It's like volunteers are a superpower that we use every day. And I mean, I think that's at the kind of core of what we do at the Story Factory. It's this kind of relationship between the volunteers and the student and the kind of workshop leader. And it's the way that relationship and that kind of mini community, that mini safety net, enables students to take massive risks that they might not take, massive creative risks, and try and do things that they have not done before. And that, I mean, that for me is what the workshops at the Story Factory are all about, really. I agree. And Robin, you are an expert in the, the important role that an arts education can play in a, in a child's education and creativity. Why is what Richard just talked about important? Because creativity and the arts, of which creative writing is one art form, should be at the centre of the curriculum whether we're working in early childhood, whether we're working at university. And the research is unequivocal that the arts, quality arts experiences, are so important to who we are. Story is central to who we are as human beings. The arts are as old as we are as human beings. And children, are born incredibly creative. You only have to, to listen to them for a couple of minutes to see how creative they are. And yet, sadly, um, over the years, we get messages along the way that some of us aren't creative or we're not very good at some of the art forms. So, you know, I, I tell the story of remembering when um, I first realised I wasn't going to be an artist. 
you know, when my teacher in year six fixed up my drawing of a tree before he put it on the wall. And that was the time, only time, my drawing ever went on the wall that I can remember. Um, and that's a very clear message that I can still remember. I can still remember um, I used to start all of my creative writings called composition in the dinosaur era when I was in school. Um, I used to start all of my compositions with ominous black clouds loomed in the sky and the night was dark and listless. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't even know what ominous meant. But I had a good mark for it once and so I kept using it. <laughs> I don't think we have ever put enough emphasis on creativity, on play, on risk taking at school. And I think sadly, even though we have even more evidence now of how important it is, I think sadly teachers are more and more being directed by the policy makers even though they say creativity is important, to teach very much to a formula. And lots of teachers tell me that creative writing is not taught very much because there's so much emphasis on NAPLAN and writing to a recipe in a time frame. You're giving kids at Sydney Story Factory, you as the storytellers, the volunteers and all the people that make it up, you're giving kids the permission to write for themselves. You're giving them the permission to take risks. You're giving them the, the um, permission to experiment in a way that might not necessarily fit a particular genre that they have to do. And you're giving them time, seven weeks for some of those workshops with 40 to 50 minutes with an adult working with you who cares about what you're doing. And as enthusiastic and passionate as teachers are about the individual nature of their children, it's rare to have, as you say, that army of, of fantastic volunteers who want to support the kids. So it's really a magical place. I agree. <laughs> and I wonder, Gary, I mean, one of the things I've found really interesting about talking to you is you had a feeling that writing was going to be a way of helping you with, with other things. So I just wondered, what is it that made you want to come to the Story Factory and what is it, what is it that writing gives you? Why is it important for you? Well, thank you. When I came here about 2004, and, well, I'm from Sierra Leone. I was born in Sierra Leone. But due to the Civil War, I had to leave my home. And I had to leave in a refugee camp, from refugee camp to Australia. And that was my childhood. So when I came here, I thought, because I was also born in a privileged home, I, my, I had everything. So one moment I find myself, I've lost everything. I'm in a war zone. People are dying, gunshot. All these were in my mind and in my head. When I came, because also I'm, I love to ask questions, and, but 
I couldn't ask anybody what, what I was feeling because I was not allowed to ask anyone. And so when I came to Australia, I thought, okay, that's fine. It's gone. My past is, I've buried my past. My past is not part of me anymore. But when I came to Australia, I realized that after two years later, those things started staring up inside me. And I, I wanted to share it to my family, but they told my mother, keep telling me, you've never seen, you've never seen the war, you're not part of the war. And I told my mom, I've seen it, and I want to share it to her, but she never allowed me to speak. So I had it all inside me. And when I was in the camp, I used to get into a lot of trouble with older people because they're always trying, like, they're trying to shush me. They said, don't talk anything here. And, but they, my grandma used to say to me that if I had an education, then I can ask questions or my ans I will get an answer that I'm looking for. So I was like, oh, how does that link to education, what I'm feeling? So when I was in like, I always used to draw on the ground because I'd never had a book or anything. That is why when I came to Australia, I had nightmares. I couldn't sleep. Daytime, like we are in this hall and I'm alone, I get so frightened and I'll feel like people, like someone is calling my name. And that was my life I lived before I met Sydney Story Factory. Then one day I was watching TV. I saw this woman, Oprah Winfrey, and it was very unusual. I've never seen someone before, like in my color in TV. That was the first time. So when I saw her, it struck me that, oh, it made me, had, like I had this flashback. My grandma saying to me, education was the way. I never knew that America even exists, or I never knew the history of black Americans. So afterwards, that's when I was like, oh, maybe this woman has a story, but because she's educated, she's on TV talking. And at that time, I didn't even understand English. I couldn't speak English, but I laugh because she laughs. Whenever she says something, I agree with everything, knocking my head. And so I, I started seeing myself in her. That's where my journey began, and, but still pain stares up. So one day, I started to write. I went to school first. I was in primary school at that time. I went to school and I met my teacher. I said, I really, really want to know how to read and write. And I was in tears when I told her this. Then she looked at me and said, I will help you. And that's how my writing journey started. And I was so in love with the writing because every time, every Friday, she tells me, write about your weekend. And when you come back, you share with the class. And that's how I started writing. And I was, writing became a huge part of my life because I didn't have a friend to share my story. My family was not there to hear what I got to say. So I write all the time. And one day I said, there's a way. I want to find a place because in my house, my parents started telling me, why are you always writing? You should go and look for a job. <laughs> you should go and look for a job. All your friends are working. You write all the time. 
And I said to them, oh, I'm writing something very special. And I used to tell them this. And I said, do you want to hear it? At times, my mom would say, okay, read it to me. And at times, most of the things she agrees, and then there's huge silence. She would not say anything. And so I was like, there must be a place in Australia that have people like me who want to write. And at that time, I was in high school. I went to enter my, my, my Liberian teacher, and I said to her, do you know a place where I can go and write? And she looked at me and said, no, I don't know, but we can find one. And I said, okay, please, let's find one. Every day, I would go to her office, look at her, and smile to her, and I said, have you found one for me yet? <laughs> and then she said, oh, not yet, but I'm still looking. And in a day, I would go there, like, lunch, recess. Any time I have, I would go and see her. And then one day, she said to me, oh, there's this place coming up. It's called Sydney Story Factory. And since then, I fell in love with the name, and I was Sydney Story Factory, so which means my story is going to be heard. <laughs> and then the first day, she told me, oh, now I've contacted a woman. Her name is Helen. And I was like, Helen? So I, I couldn't stop asking her till I went to Sydney Story Factory because it was too good for me, you know? When I went to Sydney Story Factory, when I entered first, I thought it was so weird <laughs> with all this structure. And I was like, oh, okay, this is the right place for me then. <laughs> so, and I went and tell Helen, I said, I hope you won't mind seeing me here every single day because I'm in love with this place. And I love Sydney Story Factory. I always stay calm in the morning and then sometimes lie down when I'm tired of writing. And the kids, they thought, oh, are you a tutor? And I'm like, no, I'm a student too, because I was one of the oldest students there. And then so, but they got along with me very well. They respect my space. And sometimes when I want to sleep, I sleep. Uh, yeah, that's how I came across Sydney Story Factory. <laughs> <laughs> that's true about these things. <laughs> to ask you a question perhaps in two parts because I know that when you were a child you had an experience of creative writing that I think feeds into your um, involvement with the Story Factory now but then I also wondered as a volunteer you know what you've noticed on that kind of one-on-one -on -one level with the kids. When I was 10 I was one of those kids a little bit like you all I wanted to do was write I was kind of obsessed with it and my teacher said oh you should join this kind of local writing group and so um, what this involved with was this older man would turn up in a yellow van and pick me up every Wednesday and take me away which when you think about it now I, I'm not quite sure that would happen but th this man came and he, he picked up a few kids on the route and then we would we would go um, uh, to this other school and we would write and we would read poetry and you know we were 10 reading T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound and William Carlos Williams and writing from what we knew and it was the most magical thing that you can ever experience. He, it was certainly not kind of all kind of easy and, and positive. He was in a kind of a very kind of tough editor and, you know, would really get us to kind of polish this work and when it was good enough, he would take it home to this home printing press that he'd built out the back of his house and lay it out and publish it for us. And the feeling of being published as a 10-year-old on the printing press 
was just the most kind of magical thing, you know, that, that, that you can imagine. Now, it turns out, um, you know, when I kind of got a bit older, I realised that this man was Alwyn Richardson, who was quite a kind of leading figure in New Zealand education around child-centred learning. And this was essentially his kind of retirement gig, was that he couldn't quite let go of teaching kids creativity. Um, but it, it completely changed my life. And when I moved to San Francisco and discovered 826 Valencia, I, I thought, this is happening at scale. This is what Alwyn did for me happening to more and more kids and so I, I just kind of had to, had to get involved and, and then when I moved to Sydney got involved in Story Factory. And in terms of what I, what I get to see uh, as I volunteer, we get the most amazing training as, as volunteers and nine times out of ten it goes completely out the window during a workshop because like it just gets insane um, in the most wonderful way and the only kind of phrase that you can keep coming back to is, and then what happened? <laughs> you know, to, to, to these kids. And I think what I get to see over the course of, of a, say, a seven-week workshop, but sometimes just within one workshop, is at first you get these responses back with this upward inflection at the end of the sentence. You know, you get, uh, and she jumped off a cliff, and because there's this kind of sense that it's a test or it's an exam and they need to get it right. And then as, as you kind of the workshop moves on, that kind of upward inflection is replaced by this glee. It's like, and then she jumped off a cliff. <laughs> and it's because they realise that they are giving the story life and there is this adult there hanging on every word they say. This adult's got their pen poised. Like, and then what happened? And, and they're kind of bringing the story, you know, making this kind of story happen and it's this, um, it's this kind of very... Um, magical experience, and I guess you, you know you could call it confidence, but it, it feels like a lot, a lot more than that, and it's it's pretty neat to be part of. And what, one of the questions, and I, you sort of touched on something to do with this, I think, Yari, as well, is that the, the programs at 826 and at the Sydney Story Factory are aimed specifically at young people who are marginalised and who might not have the support with their literacy at home. How does this experience of the excitement and what happens in the story for you, how does that, how do those two things connect? How does that help build literacy? How does that help kids at school and why is it important? I think I'm sort of leaving that open to whoever wants to jump in first, but I know, Richard, you have views on that. Um, well, I kind of, I'm a real believer in, in the need to be part of a writing community, to, to feel that you're part of a writing community. And I think, I mean, I think that's part of what Yari's saying about her experience at the Story Factory and, and since then as well, is that for me, what the Story Factory really does is it provides this place that is not, it's not home and it's not school, but it's, it is this safe place where you can go and write where you can fall asleep for a little while and then wake up and write <laughs> after that. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's really, really important. And I, I come back to the volunteers again, but the volunteers are a very, very, very indispensable part of that because they are the audience. They are the people who are initially listening to the story. They are the people who are valuing this story straight away. And I think that is, is incredibly important. And as students, as young people who are kind of struggling with literacy or, you know, struggling with writing in general, kind of move through and kind of find this audience and find these people who engage with their story, then they become more willing to use 
those tools to kind of practice in the kind of craft and art of storytelling. And as they do so, they'll get better and better at it. It's just something that's inevitable, I think, and, and really, really important. Robin, I, um, as we mentioned before, Robin has been leading an evaluation of the impact of our programs with um, Associate Professor David Smith is somewhere around, and uh, just there, and um, and Jackie Manuel, who I'm not sure she's, is here. She's coming. She's coming. She's yeah, teaching. She's, she's, she's teaching. Coming. Um, both in the faculty here, and before we get onto the sort of the results of that. I was wondering, Robin, if you could explain why you thought that research was important and how you've structured it. Okay. Well, I think the research that is happening is quite groundbreaking because there isn't enough research in Australia or more widely that does take the time to really look at what happens for those children who come regularly, and yes, some of them might come because they really want to write. Some of them might come because their parents think they should. Some might come because their teacher has suggested it. So they come for all different sorts of reasons. Um, and what we're trying to get a handle on is exactly that question you asked, I guess. What's the relationship between the motivation to write or the engagement in something that's different, new, exciting, and the development of their literacy skills, not just as is marked by NAPLAN, you know, whether it's a complex sentence, whether there's a full stop in the right place, whether it's spelt right, but whether children are finding their voice they are finding the confidence to say what they'd like to say because that's what we're told over and over again is going to be so important for the kind of world we're living in, that we have to be flexible, creative problem solvers who won't necessarily be following a recipe, whose knowledge, a lot of the knowledge that they're going to need hasn't even been invented yet. So they do need to be confident enough to take risks but also to fail because they'll learn so much more by failing and trying again. And so I don't know of very much research that has actually been done over time that has actually tried to get at the creative dispositions or the, the um, elements behind the writing. Most of the, the evaluation that I've read, and I'm not saying I've read it all, but it looks more at the skills, you know, so there, there's a, um, some kind of writing test, or some sort of benchmarking, some sort of writing at the end. And while we are analysing the, the um, case study children's writing, and that is important, we're not just looking at the product because not all of those children will necessarily go on to be the great writers of our time. We're looking at the process. So we're looking at their ability to understand that you can't write something fantastic in five minutes. You have to edit it. You have to reflect on it. You have to ask questions about it. Um, so those things like perseverance, 
confidence, being able to collaborate with someone else. They're skills that aren't necessarily always associated with creativity. In Western cultures, we tend to think that the person that's creative is the person that has the out-of-the-box idea, has a great imagination. And yes, that is an element that's important. But if that is where it stops, then you won't necessarily be able to get that idea out or activated or meaningful. So what we're trying to do is look at um, our case study children, the ones that are coming to a workshop over the seven weeks and, uh, and those that come back so we can look at them coming over time and observe what's happening, ask them how they think they're going, what they think about their own creativity and those sorts of elements um, and take the time to, to watch as they emerge what happens because we think that's going to help us in structuring our programs, making our workshops better, understanding which workshops are going to be the most motivating, understanding how we can support our storytellers and our volunteers to keep on um, getting better. But more than that, how we can support teachers to provide that really important space and place to play in their classrooms. Because teachers want that professional learning um, and you know, the more we learn about that, the more we'll be able to support them and the more we'll be able to change the kind of pedagogy that um, needs to change. We need to stop trying to do things that were for a bygone era and start thinking about what we need to do to change children's life chances for the future. And so what, um, what, are, what are the results so far, Robin? What, what can we say so far that we've, we've learned through the evaluation? Well, first of all, and I think this is really important, and it's not only for the case study children, we can say that, a, that children love coming to Sydney Story Factory. It, they describe it as fun. It's a place they want to be. Now, I think that's a, that's a really important um, first step because we all learn more if we're having fun. Doesn't mean it's not rigorous. Doesn't mean there won't be times when we're not, you know, all that happy about something. But by and large, there is a sense of enjoyment in what we're doing. So that's the very first thing. What we have seen in those um, case study children that we've been able to analyse over time is one of the things um, that they learn is how compl complex the notion of creativity is. So sometimes at the beginning they start off ticking all the boxes. You know, they're really good at this, they're great at getting ideas, they're really good at collaborating. Sometimes at the end of the first workshop, that will change to we're not quite so sure. I'm not quite so sure about this. And, and we're um, seeing then, putting it with the observations that are happening for the case study children and seeing what happens over time, how as their writing improves and, and 
Several of the case study children's writing has improved much more than you would expect in a relatively short time. Some changes are more gradual. But putting all of those different sets of evidence together is showing us that you know, it is providing that um, incremental gain. But it's also giving them more confidence about their own voice, about using their own voice. It's, it's showing them that things like editing is important. And we certainly have seen um, their willingness to collaborate with others, particularly with the storytellers and the volunteers. But depending on the workshop, collaboration with each other as well. So we are seeing that happen, um, but, and I think that's one of the merits of the evaluation. It is that it's happening over time and systematically. And a lot of the time in, in these kind of programs, it's a quick grab, you know, for a tick the box kind of thing, I enjoyed it, etc doesn't really get at what we're trying to do around creativity and creative writing. The creativity is such a sort of buzzword at the moment. It's in our, it, our education is meant to be very creative. Lots of companies talk about developing creativity. But yet there's still this sort of amorphousness around what that is and how we keep it going. And I think, as you said, Robin, this there's a sort of trying to, a lot of people are trying to instill the idea that it's not something that's restricted to painting or music and things, but that, is, that can be embedded in lots of, lots of parts of life. So Annie, I know that at Google, for instance, it's a place where people do try and develop creativity, but how do you do that in an organisation of that many people and how do you, how do you, what is it that we can do to keep creativity alive in work life? You know, I think that Creativity is becoming more and more of a buzzword, somewhat perversely, because technology is entering more and more areas of our life. And particularly at work, um, that's happening. So I think we used to kind of draw this kind of line in the sand saying there are all these things that computers will never do. And that line is kind of, you know, withdrawing in the rearview mirror to, to a certain extent. We're like, oh, it, it's translating languages and it's driving, they're driving cars and they're, they're doing all these things that, that we kind of didn't expect. And I think what's really positive about that is that it's forcing a conversation about, well, what are humans really good at doing? The computers are good at that stuff, what are we good at doing? And the kind of things that come out are these quite wonderful things like caring and being creative and being compassionate. And I think we're coming off a, you know, a century or more, if you think about it, of success at work being defined by how machine-like you could be. How well can you perform a set of repeatable tasks to a very high standard over and over? And you were kind of judged as a person by how much, as I say, like a machine you were. And I think what we can look forward to is that um, as, as, as things change, work is going to become more about, well, how human can you be? Are you being the best kind of human that you can possibly be? Um, and what does that look like? And I think, you know, as we were just talking about, that, that probably means being a very creative as well as a kind of compassionate and, and caring human. Um, and I know that's something we, we talk about a, a lot at Google. In terms of how we try to, to bring that out, I mean, there's, there's more than a few parallels between, between Google and Story Factory um, uh, from, you know, this kind of very colourful environment to working in small teams 
you know, and by the way, if you do something quite well, it gets published and millions of, or billions of people get to see it. Maybe not the same kind of scale, but, but very similar. But I think that, that notion of, um, and then what happens, having that kind of motive force to define your own destiny is that most necessary um, part of creativity. I remember when I started at, at Google uh, a number of years ago, I kept kind of waiting for someone to tell me what to do and realised that, that no one was going to. And essentially Google was saying, and then what happened? And I thought, oh, well, I, I guess I just get to decide. Um, and I think that works for an organisation of 50,000 people in the same way that it does for you know, a place like Story Factory. Once that you have that mo moment that you do get to decide that and that y you, know, you are writing your own story, whatever that looks like in your life, I think that is where creativity comes from. And Richard, when the... I mean, I know, you know, as Robin was saying, we have kids who come in for all sorts of reasons, one of which is often raisin bread, because we offer lots of raisin bread after school. <laughs> and they're not... I think sometimes people think that we have a lot of kids who are really excellent writers, people like Yari, who came in knowing that they wanted to write and that they, they had an aptitude for it. Um, whereas actually we work with a lot of kids who have very low literacy levels who do not think of themselves as writers and who kind of think, in another setting, would think creative writing. Ugh. And so I'm, I'm sort of interested in how do you, how do you break through into, into a kid, I mean kids are creative as you say Ron, but getting them to kind of trust in their creativity and think more creatively and kind of apply that to perhaps other areas of their lives. Um, well I think the first answer I have to that is time. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of think Sometimes when we go into schools or we have schools come and visit us, I feel like the Story Factory is weirdly this kind of big bucket full of time that we share around with people. And it's, um, it's teachers in particular struggle with time. They've got lots of things to do all the time. There are always things to mark. There are always lessons to prepare. Um, so we kind of offer them a different way to engage with their students because we come in, we're ready, we're ready to do a particular project. And that's, that's an interesting use of time, good use of time. But the other bit of time is the volunteer time with the students, which is just that, that time which is almost, you can't calculate the goodness of that amount of time. And that's, I mean, that I think is what allows us initially to kind of break through with a lot of students at sitting down time and being interested in the writing. But I think kind of beyond that and kind of further into these ideas of creativity and how can we help people, young people, old people as well, like me, um, <laughs> become kind of more comfortable with this whole idea of creativity. And I think part of it is breaking down creativity and not looking at creativity as this kind of mystical thing that some people have and some people don't have. It is this thing that we can practice and that we can learn and that we can become good at. And if students and young people and old people understand that and they kind of look at creativity and kind of break it down into little parcels, then they can become more creative people. They can apply creativity in their lives. And when we're I mean, when I'm kind of thinking about putting together workshops, I'm thinking very, very much about how creativity is broken down and, you know, 
what part of creativity are we looking at here? Are we looking at the exploration part? Are we looking at the play part? Are we looking at the bit that's about craft? Are we looking at the bit about making choices? Are we kind of putting it all together now? And I'm really kind of conscious of those steps in the creative process. And if young people can become conscious of those steps and better at using those steps, they'll become more confident and more able to kind of engage with the world in this creative fashion that is, that is really necessary. Is that how you felt, Yari? You know, because it sounds when you talk about your background that you were not encouraged necessarily to think of yourself as a creative person. Is that, would that be a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah, I now take myself as a creative person and I always say that I'm always the odd one in my family because I think so differently and I see the world very different. Like, some now because of my past as well, I look at it and then I, there's many ways I can express myself through creativities. Like if I don't feel like telling anybody by going, oh, this is what happened to me, I can write it through poetry or story and nobody will know who it belongs to. They can just read it and then relate to it as well and be like, oh, actually something like this has happened to me. Maybe not the same, not the war, but like the feelings. So that is what I love about creativity because it's just, it allows you to experience other people's pain and put yourself in, in it. And so I see the world very different, you know, because now I have something that is like a counseling to me, writing. Whenever I feel down, upset, or I feel like I want to talk to someone and there is nobody there at that present time, that I trust, I take pen and paper and write, and then I feel great. Um, one of the things, a lot of our volunteers come from um, lots and lots of different walks of life. They vary in age from uh, 15 to about 80. Um, and they, some people work in creative fields and do write in some way professionally, and some people do completely different things and enjoy coming to the Story Factory because it's that opposite thing. Um, so one, and one of the things that perhaps unites them is that most of them write in some way. Very few are published writers, but they write journals or they, they're interested in reading and writing. And one of the things that they have said sometimes when we ask about why they volunteer is that it's like a little injection of creativity from an eight-year-old. There is nothing more creative than sitting with a, you know, an eight-year-old and them telling you what happened after she jumped off the cliff and then next and next. And it's one of, I remember one of our volunteers, Rudy, said it reminded him of when he first started writing stories and that feeling of excitement as you discover as you're going along. Um, sorry, that was a long build-up to a question, Annie, which was, as a volunteer, is that is that what it feels like to you, or what, what else do you get out? What is it, what's the benefit of it for you? I should say, someone jumping off a cliff would be about the most boring thing that any kid ever said, <laughs> it, ever said at Story Factory. Clearly an adult came up with that. They would be kind of flying off the cliff with wings, and then they'd be like diving into a lake of bubble gum. There seems to be food is always, is always big. So I will put myself in the category of being a, a, a language lover and a literature lover, and so a huge part of the joy of volunteering is the delight you get when you see this just extraordinarily fresh 
incredible juxtaposition of words that you just wonder how it came out of a brain in such a beautiful way. It's just a, it's a, a joy. It's like being this close to, you know, to, to these kind of beautiful sparks and you just find yourself almost just kind of clapping in delight at, at some of the things that, that come out. And, and, you know, and some of it's kind of weird too and, and some of it's kind of dark. You get the full spectrum. Um, but some of it's extraordinarily beautiful and, and those moments are, are very special. But the other kind of hidden secret in all of this is, as well as creating this very special place for, for 5,000 kids, um, they've created a really special place for a couple of thousand volunteers as well. Um, I've made friends among other volunteers. We actually see each other outside of the story factory. Really? I know. We hang out and Not we allowed. you know, get together and we talk about books and it's awesome. Um, but you know, the Martian Embassy is a special place for me to walk into and I feel like that's a, 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 a special... You know, you, you have those moments where you feel like you've found your, your people and your community and in a big city like Sydney, I think that's very special. So that was an unexpected benefit that I didn't, uh, I didn't know I was going to get. Because one of the questions, Robin, I know we've talked about a lot is the, that part of the fear of creativity is that it seems so difficult to pin down mm. and that it's hard to mark, I think, mm. seems to be a particular sort of issue. Um, so how, how, I mean, I know this is what you've been doing with part of the evaluation. Like, how do you evaluate the creativity of a piece of writing by a 12-year-old? Well, that's a huge question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I think people will come to this differently. Um, Certainly, I don't evaluate how creative something is by whether the full stops are in the right place or the spelling's right or there's more than one sentence in a paragraph. So do you know that you'll get marked down with NAPLAN if you just have one sentence in a paragraph somewhere, which you might be doing for a, a good reason. Um, for me, it's, it's about, um, first of all, I suppose almost having the, the different ideas, understanding different uses of um, different forms of writing, but being able, as Annie said, to juxtapose them or understand them so you can misuse them almost sometimes. Um, Jackie has developed a writing analysis framework to try and look at, at a whole lot of different aspects of what it means to, to write creatively to, and to write effectively. Um, and what she's tried to do is put together a, a whole lot of different writing models that perhaps only look at part of the story, you know, like the functional, systemic, linguistic with, you know, the personal model and uh, social, ex- constructivist, etc., etc. Um, and I think Jackie would be the first to say that we're not sure, it, it, it probably still needs a lot of work. But definitely the people, the volunteers that have worked on looking at that writing analysis with some of the children's work have you know, been able to see what's been happening over time. But the other challenge, I suppose, is that it's not consistent 
you know, it, it is going to depend on your engagement in what you're doing, in the particular story that you're telling and how the, you know, how it's being shaped. And sometimes that depends on how the, the child is engaging with the particular workshop and how they're relating to um, particular volunteer or the other children that are there. Now, I know I've strayed off your question, um, but uh, yeah, I guess part of the challenge is that it, it's not linear, it's not the same, and yeah, in a sense, I, I think that's part of the, the challenge that, that we're wrestling with at the moment. Yeah. I think that's why people revert to marking the spelling and the punctuation and the number of expressive verbs and the number of nominal groups, etc. That people have reduced it to that because it is not an easy thing to do. And interestingly, a lot of the research about creative writing is about creative writing at tertiary level not about creative writing with um, very young children. For me as well, it's, it's about how effectively someone can walk in the shoes of someone else, how they can get inside someone else's thought process and think about um, their motivation, which might be quite different. Um, you know, how they can paint images or, or pictures or whatever. Um, all of that's there in our analysis, but I think we've still got a way to go. I mean, it's one of those, you know it when you see it, you know, but it's kind of, you know, the thing. And what I was interested in one of the things, one of the things you mentioned there, Robin, was about how there's not a lot of research around creative writing for young people. Mm. Um, and that in a lot of ways, creative writing is like the poor cousin of the arts, you know, like Australia Council money, I think it's like 7% goes to writing, you know, like people tend to think that the arts are more painting and music and things and then creative writing. Um, and I just wonder why you think that is. I don't know, so I'm just opening that broadly, I don't know if anyone has a, why, why do you think, Richard? <laughs> Picking on you. You can pick on me, that's okay. Um, <laughs> My first really strange answer, that 7%, did you say? That might be wrong. It's around I mean, you can make it up, that's, that's yeah. okay. Um, writing's kind of cheap. If you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're just, you know, paying people to, you know, giving people money to go and write a book, it doesn't cost quite as much, but that's not really answering mm. your question. I think, I mean, I think part of it, and I'm going to be super nerdy here for a second, um, when Robin's been talking about the evaluation, our evaluation or the evaluation is kind of doing three things. There's an analysis of students' writing, there's observations where volunteers, again our fantastic volunteers, will sit at a table with students and the volunteer they're working with and kind of watch what happens, watch the interaction between students and their peers and students and the volunteer that we're working with and then there's just a kind of pre and post survey. And all of those three bits go together to create case studies. And they're all kind of viewed through this lens of creative dispositions. And there are kind of five of those. So there's 
inquisitiveness, so the kind of curiosity students feel, the way they explore, um, imagination, um, collaboration, so the way they work with other students, their kind of discipline, so the craft, the way they can work through problems, and persistence, working through problems. So this is a long-winded answer to that question, right. but um, seeing the evaluation and moving kind of through the evaluation as it's been happening, what I've kind of come to really see is that creative writing and this creativity in writing is something that is really kind of difficult to understand. And it's really, I mean, we can look at a great book and go, oh yeah, that's kind of creative. But I think the creativity that we're looking at and that we're really interested in is that process that occurs around the book and that movement towards the book. And I think it's really, I mean, it's hard to kind of show that to people when you're going for money from the Australia Council, for example. It's kind of hard to kind of show that process and I think maybe that's part of what makes writing a little bit of a, you know, less popular cousin, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> and no, what do you think, Yara? Yeah. I'm going to pass that on to you. <laughs> Do, do you agree with that idea? Do you feel that that writing is not perhaps valued as much as other art forms, or do, have you ever encountered that yourself? Mm. I think it's kind of changed. Sorry. In some length, because I think sometimes people expect you just to write, and to write takes it takes time especially if you're writing for, for something, for a book, or just a reflection. It does take time. And also, sometimes if you're thinking of doing it as a professional, so you probably need training to do so if you want to take it further or further steps. So I think sometimes it is, because, and it's very hard to find a place like Sydney Story Factory. Like for me, I keep telling people that I'm very lucky to find a place like that because I never thought there is actually a space that exists like Sydney Story Factory. But, you know, and even though I have been searching before, I, met, I went to the librarian, but I couldn't find any. And so it is very important to put in money for certain things like that, especially we are, we are all different. We all have different stories and people need that as well. People, I usually say to people that, yes, when I came here, they gave me the best facilities. They offered me counseling, everything, but it's never worked for me. And, but once I had writing, I can say anything that I like, you know, and with the mentors as well, they were there to just listen, and which was great. They were not there to like, it was just in my own world and in my own zone. All right, we've got about 20 minutes left, so there is a microphone up the back if anyone would like to come up and ask questions. So if you, yeah, it just takes a little bit of manoeuvring to get down the back. So while you're doing that, I might just ask, one final question to, to Robin about what um, you were there at the beginning of, of Story Factory when we were thinking about what that's what you know what the impact would be what it's for what what would what would you like to see 
it achieve? What would be the kind of the ideal outcome from, from what we are doing? For me, I'd, I'd like to see what is happening now, what, what is beginning, and that is that um, Sydney Story Factory is becoming a go-to place to learn about creative writing for um, teachers as well. And I don't want to lose the what it is in essence in terms of coming to this amazing, amazing place, even though I can't sit on those stools <laughs> for very long. Um, so I, I suppose I, I wa I'm ambitious in that I want those opportunities to continue. And but I also think it's fantastic that Sydney Story Factory is also going into those different organisations like the. Um, the uh, Centre for Excellence, NCIE, yeah, etc. Um, but I'd also like to see it um, being a place that teachers could come to continue to um, work on, on their creative skills in the classroom and to rediscover their own creativity because so many teachers that I work with start the conversation um, by saying, I'm not creative at all. The children are. And one of, I think, the really important things is for teachers to get back in touch with their creativity and to explore and to play with all of the art forms, not thinking they have to be the best at any of them, but confident to encourage those arts processes, whatever they are. And I think Sydney Story is actually bringing together a number of the other art forms as well in its exploration of writing, the storytelling that's happening orally as well, the story in a whole lot of different forms. I'd like to see those kind of places like Sydney Story Factory at the centre um, of our rediscovery of, of how important that is in education, wherever that education is, is happening. Um, but the arts are so underfunded and continuing to be cut in so many ways that sometimes I think that I'm living in a parallel universe because on the one hand we have all the research, we have all of these amazing things that are happening in so many different art forms, particularly for the most vulnerable and yet um, we're going in the other direction because you know, we can more easily tick a box and um, I think, you know, that's going to be disastrous if we follow that track. Mm. All right, I think we have a question up the back. Mm. Hello. Okay. Um, my question was, um, have you ever had any negative reaction or adverse reaction to your workshops? Or if not directly, what kind of challenges or resistance have you come across in, in your endeavour? Yes, we have. Um, I, I mean, I talk incredib incredibly positively about the Story Factory because overwhelmingly it is very, very positive. But, you know, as in every classroom in the universe, there are bad days, there are bad classes, there are things that don't work. And for me and for all of us as, as the people who are facilitating and leading the workshops, we are we kind of learn from those mistakes and it's 
you know, it's something that needs to happen and I kind of, I think we all pride ourselves on the fact that we are taking risks just like the students in the workshop. And that safety net of the volunteers is kind of there for the, for the storytellers and for, and for the um, story factory itself as well. I mean, I've never been in a workshop. We've never had a workshop that has been so bad that I've wanted to walk out and never come back to the story factory. It's always, there's always something good about it in the end. There's always a piece of writing that comes out of it. There's always a good experience that comes out of it. And I think a lot of the time for us, when we're working with students who are really, you know, at times really, really kind of challenging and kind of difficult to work with, even, you know, for me and for people who are really experienced at, at working with students like, like that, I think it's sometimes just the fact that those students are there and they're sitting in this room and they're interacting with these adults who are strangers to them before they walked into the room is a massive, massive achievement. So, yes, there are things that aren't fantastic, but in a weird way, they become fantastic. <laughs> that was a sneaky answer. <laughs> um, thanks. I, I was really interested um, to hear, Robin, you say you were crushed by a teacher correcting your work, and then Annie saying that she had a really tough editor who demanded polished work. So I guess my question is about um, the process. How do, you, how do you get, you know, a high standard of work from a student without quashing their creativity? It's open. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's the way that you work with a child. Um, and I think you have the benefit of doing that on a one-to-one -one or in a small group in a way you don't always have that. But I, I think it is the honouring of the child or the student and the respect for them and their work. So it wasn't, it wasn't that um, I... Well, if I take that example, the, a much better way would have been um, for, for some talk and some modelling about perhaps what needed to, to be happening to that tree and some helping me do the work on that myself rather than for um, that teacher to come in over the top and do it for me and then just make that decision it, it was good enough. Um, I think writing is particularly um, challenging because it does take uh, often hours and hours of working on a draft um, and you do have to learn if, you're, if you've got an editor you do have to, to sort of take that criticism and use it positively and the first time somebody writes all over your work um, that's hard. I had someone tell me early in my research career that my writing made him laugh. And if I hadn't found another mentor, another teacher that worked beside me, he might have thought that in his head, 
But he didn't say that. He slowly built my confidence and helped me see how I could be my own critic and, and be confident in making, in failing and trying again. So I think it's, the, it's, it's walking alongside and honouring um, and, and good teachers do that every day. It's just that they often have to do it with so many individuals that they, they run out of time. There, there are things I remember that Alwyn said about my work that I that still you know still now stay with me. I'm like, oh, I, he said that thing, you know. So it, it is. It's, it's, you are dealing with these very kind of malleable, you know, young people that that will remember everything. But I think ultimately, for me, it was the fact that he cared enough to make the work excellent, and I think that was that always came through. And and he was so happy when the work was excellent, and then it got published in the printing press and it was all kind of wonderful. But, but I certainly remember the, the criticism as well. Mm. Richard, don't you have a way also of, like, there's a way of kind of framing editing, I think, as it can be, this is how I'm going to correct your work, but it can be, now is our chance to make this even more awesome, and how are we going to do that? I mean, I think that's what you do really well with me. I mean, I think one of the kind of fundamental differences between these two situations really is that idea of time again. I mean, there wasn't enough time in your situation. He needed, he wanted to get it up on the wall, so he just did his quick... And there, and there was a lot of time in your situation. I think, I mean, it comes back to that, how much time can you spend working through this process? And I think the more time you know, you can be gentler, you can, you can take it easy, you can work into the process and Kath mentioned one of the things that I try to talk or that we all try to talk to kids about is for me one of my kind of core beliefs about editing is that it's not boring and it's not a struggle, it is one of the key creative moments in a piece of writing and it is the real opportunity to take it from being something that is okay to something that is truly fantastic. And you get to make really, really rewarding and creative decisions during that editing process. And if you, know, if you can convince students that this is actually the case, then they're along on the ride, on that editing ride. And I think you know, that, I mean, it takes time. It takes time, it took me I can't even tell you how long it took me to, to understand that, but, but I think that's really, I mean, that's part of the importance in that kind of developing and understanding and, and editing your work. Um, as one of your target groups is uh, students from language backgrounds other than English, do you have any plans, or do you already, develop storytelling in students' home languages, perhaps through bilingual volunteers? I would so love to do that. Um, and Helen, in fact, has been... Helen's sitting down the front here, I'm just going to point at her. Um, Helen has been working on this project at Redfern Community Centre where they've been writing a whole bunch of stories that have been... Some of them have been translated into various languages. I'm not going to point you out over <laughs> But So we're kind of working towards that and if we could really, if we could make a concentrated effort to do that, I would love it. It would be fantastic. It's all right, you shout and I'll repeat it. 
Um, I think the question is about how do we convince people that creative writing is not a waste of time, <laughs> yeah, essentially, that it's not a school-based activity and that it's, it's a valuable activity for the kids to do. I mean, I think that's a really, it resonates exactly with what you were saying, you know, that that's what your parents said to you, that this was not, that creative writing was not that helpful. Is that right, Yeah. Yeah. How did you convince them that it was? Um, I guess maybe 2013 when I had the book, I had a book contract. And then taking that student, I'm like, oh, I'm going to write a book. And they were like, you're going to write a book? <laughs> and I'm, I could see the expression on their face and I'm like, yes, I'm going to write a book. And just like re winning like competitions. And they always, oh, they, they started thinking, oh, maybe there is something good in creative writing. And when I started winning competitions, like poetry competition, and I would perform, then people would come up to them and say, oh, she writes beautiful. And then my mom started embracing that. And she would stay off my back by saying, oh, go and look for a job. Your friends are working. And sometimes my friends, they would think, oh, how do you do it? So some of my friends, they would give a go to write stuff, and then, which is amazing. I said to them, well, you know, everybody has like counseling. Well, some people have counseling, but this is my counseling as well. So I just write. And with language, sometimes with Sydney Story Factory, when I was with Helen, like at, at that time, Helen used to tell me, write about your hair, because I always have different hairstyle. <laughs> and then I'm like, what is so special about my hair? And then she said that, well, because like it has story, like the noise, like when you go and get your hair done, and I'm like, okay, this is very interesting. So I, <laughs> I learned to embrace things in my life, like little things that I do and I take for granted that I'm like, oh, maybe someone might see that as interesting. So like my culture, I, I, I write a lot of things in my language as well, as well as English and translate it. So with creative writing, it's just, it gives you that chance. And especially if you keep doing it and you're passionate about it, your voice will be heard. And once, if nobody cares, they will care one day. One of the things that we are trying to do more of is talk to the parents about the changes that they see in their children. And certainly um, in terms of of where we are at the moment with that. Um, the parents aren't necessarily immediately seeing an improvement in the writing, but they are seeing um, a different attitude to going to school, for example, or a realisation that the more that you put in to um, these things, the more that you'll get out of it, etc. Um, so I think sometimes the parents don't actually need convincing that it's important because they'll, they'll, they see what's happening. And I certainly know some parents are going to a lot of trouble to, to get their children to Sydney Story Factory and they're asking questions about why isn't it in our school. Um, so I, th I think, again, it's something that, that might take more time, um, but, but certainly it might not be evident immediately in the actual product that's being written, but it, it might be starting to change the way the children are thinking about themselves and confidence in who they are. And that's partly because, again, they're being valued and honoured. Um, and that confidence is, is really important for all of us, that confidence and resilience 
it, you know, is so important. And I think that's also, I mean, that's the point of the research in a way, isn't it? Mm. That if we can, if we can demonstrate these things that, if we can demonstrate to a wide audience these things that we see individually, then hopefully that helps to convince them. Well, you're, it's, it, is a, it's a, it's a, it is a problem that we face and we just have to sort of try and talk around the benefits for them. Um, it's uh, five to eight. I'm afraid we've got to wrap up. Um, thank you so much for coming. Oh, is this? Oh, sorry. It, it should be a pretty quick one. It's yeah, a go bit ahead. Of a practical question. Um, so I work with um, young people who are marginalised and generally come from trauma backgrounds um, in a flexible education centre in Crow's Nest. And um, by coincidence, today we were doing a creative writing task. And um, I'm always really shocked and often overwhelmed by um, the emotional power that um, something like that can have and potentially um, the power it can have of, you know, potentially re-triggering and reopening traumas and things like that. So I was just wondering um, how Sydney's Story Factory sort of copes with, opens the door and I'm just wondering maybe what you do when the door's open and how you close it again. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Richard, do you want to have a go at that one? Or? Um, I kind of, I'll answer that with an example. Um, we run a dramatic monologues workshop with, um, with high school students and one of the ways I kind of enter into that is I say we're going to write about stuff that you know, we're going to write about stuff that you're an expert about, but you are not writing as you. You are writing as a character who knows everything about you, who can say things about you, but this is not you. You need to kind of distance yourself a little bit from this piece of writing. You need to take a step away from it. And usually, well, in our experience at the Story Factory anyway, that has, that's kind of been that creation of distance has been enough to to kind of save students from having to to go through that trauma again. Um, I don't know, Yari, you would be... Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. I mean, because what you said about the power, I mean, the first poem that you wrote at the Story Factory is yeah. amazingly powerful, amazingly powerful. And I know, but I do know, that, I mean, how do you sometimes deal with it when you find that, you know, that, that pain was coming up again? I guess just with my first poem I wrote at Sydney Story Factory, I sometimes it can get frightened because especially when you're writing something very deep and something very dark, you think if you're alone, like you feel you can, it can take you right there to that moment and to get yourself out and be like, oh no, actually I was just writing. But it can get very hard. That is why for me I felt like I needed a place that I can go, that maybe, I'm not saying that I'm looking for people that have the same story as me, but people that will accept me for who I am and for all the pains. And people that won't think that, oh, these kids have seen a lot, because that is why I didn't tell anybody at school or anyone around me, because I didn't want people to think that, you are so young, but you've seen a lot. I'd never like that word. So, but with my first poem at Sydney Story Factory, I realized that there were people around me that even if I cry, they will not ask me a question like, why are you crying or why are you screaming? 
but they will understand that it's from somewhere deep and dark. And so that's what gives me courage, and I kept going there all the time, especially because I wanted to write because I wanted to let go of some things. Those things were getting in, like taking control of my life, and which I do not want anymore. So going there, and after writing, I read it to myself, and I said, no, this is not me. And sometimes I'm, I can get very attempted to destroy it, but Helen always collects it and types it. <laughs> and she put it in a file, and which I'm like, wow, this is amazing to see someone actually seeing good things in this or thinking that it will help other people as well. And that is why I, was, I kept going to Sydney Story Factory every single day. All right, this is a great time to thank Yari, Annie, Richard, and Rowan for a wonderful time. Thank you. Robin will do an official wrap-up in a moment, but I just want to say from the Sydney Story Fresh, from all of us, thank you so much for coming. Um, thank you to Meredith Hall and Sydney Ideas for organising this wonderful event. Um, you can get involved with the Sydney Story Factory if you want to. Um, we, there are two things that are always tremendously helpful to us. One are volunteers, obviously, and the second is money. Um, so if you would like to help with either one of those things, there are forms on your, on your seats and um, our lovely volunteer manager Craig is down the back and we will all be down the back after this um, with Helen and Matt um, and can answer any of your questions around that as well. So I'll just hand over to Robin and thank you so much for having us tonight. I, I just wanted to I just wanted to thank Meredith um, Hall and Sydney Ideas for um, all of the fantastic organisations and I, I wanted to thank you all for, for coming and for your interest in Sydney Story Factory and encourage you all to tell other people about its work and to get involved in some way. There are lots of different ways you can be volunteers. Not every volunteer can, can necessarily come to a workshop. There are lots of other things that Sydney Story Factory needs um, in promoting story. Um, so, you know, please get involved in some way, even if it's just by telling other people. And please stay and have a drink. <laughs> yeah, there's drinks served down the back. We'll be here for a while. Um, please come and say hello. Thank you. Thank you.